Let's take our, our Bible and go to Psalm 48. Psalm 48, as we continue our study through the book of Psalms. So you have the outline in front of you, and we are going to look tonight at the beauty and protection of Zion. And I'll just say at the outset, Zion and Jerusalem are synonymous. And technically, Zion is a part of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a little bit bigger. But in the Bible, they're virtually synonymous. Jerusalem is Zion. Now, you might be thinking, why are we going to talk about Jerusalem? Like, how exciting is that going to be tonight? Well, if I were to come to you, if we were in the same family together, and I said, or if I said to my children, we're, we're moving, like tomorrow, we're, we're going to move. Well, their question would be, where? And I tell them where, and they say, why? What's there? What are we going to do? What's it like? I mean, all the questions that you would expect on a new location, a different place where you might call home. Well, that's kind of what we're looking at this evening in Psalm 48. For, for you and me, we might look at it and think, why is that important? And how is that going to capture my heart tonight in 2023? But I really believe that as we look into the Word and see God's plan for the future, and if you're a believer here tonight, we could even say where you'll be in the future, before the eternal state, we ought to pay attention. It's where we're going to be for a while, for a thousand years in particular. So, Psalm 48. It's a wonderful psalm. Uh, It is a song, you see there in the title, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Let Let me read the whole thing. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. God in her palaces has made himself known as a stronghold. For behold, the kings have assembled themselves. They passed by together. They saw it and then they were amazed. They were terrified. They fled in alarm. Panic seized them there. Anguish as of a woman in childbirth. With the east wind, you break the ships of Tarshish. As we have seen, so we have, as we have heard, so we have seen, in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish her forever. Selah. We have thought on your loving kindness, O God, in the midst of your temple. As is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go around her. Count her towers. Consider her ramparts. Go through her palaces so that you may tell it to the next generation. For such is God, our God, forever and ever. And he will guide us until death for the choir director. If you and I were to read Isaiah chapter 45, God is prophesying the future to his people in Israel. 
And he tells them that after a 70-year exile, they are going to come back to the land through a world leader that God even names the guy. His name is Cyrus. In that chapter, Isaiah 45, verse 13, God calls Jerusalem my city. He calls it my city. Why in Psalm 2, which is a messianic psalm of the kingship of Jesus, why does God call it my holy mountain? In the book of Zechariah, God calls Jerusalem the apple of my eye. You're going to hear me quote this a lot tonight because it's one of the verses that I think is central in the Old Testament to this Jerusalem theology. Zechariah 1 verse 14, thus says the Lord, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. God is jealous, meaning he's got a single-minded passion, as it were, a supreme love for Jerusalem. I love some of these quotes from the Jewish rabbis of old. From the Talmud, one, the Talmud says this, Whoever did not see Jerusalem in all of her glory has never seen a beautiful city. Another Jewish writer said, Ten measures of beauty descended upon the world and Jerusalem took nine of them. The former mayor of Jerusalem, Teddy Kollek, said, If you want one simple word to symbolize all of Jewish history, that one word would be Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, it's called Zion in the Bible, and it's also called Jerusalem. It's the center of Jewish life. It's the center of Jewish culture. It's the center of Jewish history. It's the center of Jewish language. It's the center and apex of Jewish hope. But you know what? What Somebody might think, what in the world? What does it matter? You know what? Why this city of Jerusalem? Well, here's why. Man didn't invent the significance of Jerusalem. God did. If you want to, follow with me. I want to read Psalm 132. Because in Psalm 132, beginning in verse 13, we read about God's favorite city in all the world. Psalm 132, beginning in verse 13, For the Lord has elected Zion. He has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her needy with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. And her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. There I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall shine. A little bit earlier than that, Psalm 78, I'll just read this, verse 68 tells us this, God chose the tribe of Judah and he chose Mount Zion, which he loved. Now, somebody might say, Pastor Jeff, that's an Old Testament city. Man, move on from that. We're we're New Testament Christians today. Well, 
you may want to move on, but God hasn't moved on. God has not moved on. We, I don't think it would be a stretch to say that God's election, God's decrees, God's prophetic plans, and God's future thousand-year reign in Christ, and all of the nations of the world beholding King Jesus reigning on the earth, it all centers around Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So it, it's kind of impossible to know the plan of God for redemptive history in the future and in the past if we don't understand Jerusalem and Zion. Thus says the Lord, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. I have a commentary on the book of Psalms. I love it. I don't always agree with it, but I appreciate what the writer says. He interpreted Psalm 48 that we're going to look at here as pointing to Jesus's rule and reign over his church, as if the church is Zion and Jesus is ruling over the church as we are, as it were, Zion. And the author says Christ is the king over his church and he's king over all things. And the, and the author said that the promises of God are great and they're vast and they're unfailing and trustworthy. And, and the author says that God providentially provides for and cares for the church. And, and the author says that God has a special presence in his church, in his people. And, and then the author said that our security is confirmed by the covenant love that is sealed by the blood of Christ, to which I say, amen. I agree with all of that. But that doesn't come from this text. In the words of a title of one book, it's actually a pretty good book, it's the right doctrine from the wrong text. That's not the meaning of Psalm 48. It's not talking about Jesus reigning in our hearts as we are the new Mount Zion. That's not the point of Psalm 48 at all. Because the author in the Old Testament times, who no doubt was a citizen of Jerusalem, had one thing in mind, earthly Zion. Earthly Zion. Now, I think you could get to the church with a lot of application, but that's not the meaning of the text. What is the meaning of Psalm 48 that we're going to look at tonight? The meaning of the psalm is God's glorious kingship over and his faithful protection of Jerusalem. Why does it matter? One might say. Why does it matter? Because if you're a Christian... And after Jesus raptures you to heaven and you're in heaven for seven years while the tribulation is on earth, and then you return to earth with Jesus at the second coming, then you will reign with Christ for a thousand years and that kingdom has as its capital Jerusalem. That's important. We, we want to know. We want to understand more of where we're going to be. Psalm 48 centers on the city, and I, we could go through it, and I could, I could show you the, the different references to a city here. In verse 1, it's called the city of our God. At the end of verse 1, it's called God's holy mountain. In verse 2, it's called Mount Zion on the slopes of the north. In verse 11, it's called Mount Zion. In verses 12 and 13, you're to count the towers and the ramparts and the palaces of the city of the city. 
Now, why was it written? Well, this was a hymn written by the sons of Korah, probably sparked by a deliverance that God brought to his people. Maybe Sennacherib, after he and the Assyrians were 185,000, were destroyed by an angel. It could have been that deliverance. Maybe it could have been the deliverance when Jehoshaphat was the king and God delivered Judah from the Edomites and the Moabites and the Ammonites and all these armies and God delivered them. And then the psalmist is writing a psalm about God's protection. Well, it, it could have been. But this psalm is way, way beyond anything of the past. The language is far more vast and global than something of the past. I think Psalm 48 is looking ahead prophetically to the future of earthly Jerusalem in the kingdom. Notice verse 2. Let let me just show you why I think that. Look at verse 2. Jerusalem is beautiful in elevation. It is the joy of the, what's the next phrase? The whole earth. I mean, when has Jerusalem been the joy of the whole earth? That hasn't happened. Or in verse 10, look at verse 10. As is your name, O God, so is your praise to the... I mean, when has God been praised to the ends of the earth? Yet, he hasn't. He hasn't. So I think the language of the psalm is something more forward pointing than it is just looking backward at some historical event that God deliver Jerusalem. Hopefully this will be encouraging as we continue to go through it together. So I want to gaze upon the beauty of Zion with you, and let's look at it in three lessons that we can derive right out of the text. In verses 1 to 3 in your outline, follow with me. Let's look at celebrate God's greatness in Zion. We can celebrate God's greatness in Zion. Now, we want to be clear. The opening verses here teach that what makes Jerusalem so great is that God is the one who makes her great. God is the one who makes Zion great. And what is amazing is in verse 1, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God. It's a personal. He, he is our God. There's a saving relationship with our God. In this psalm, we see that God is great. We see that he is greatly to be praised. We see that Jerusalem is beautiful in verse 2. It gives joy to the whole earth. It is in the northern areas. It is the city of the great king that God dwells in her midst. God is praiseworthy because he chose Zion. Maybe you could jot down in your notes something that would be worth reading when you have some time, Deuteronomy chapter 12. Because when you read Deuteronomy 12, God says over and over and over, in the place where I will put my name, you shall worship me. I mean, like over and over in that chapter. God is very clear when he's telling Moses and the people of Israel, don't worship me wherever you want. You got to worship me in the place, in the place. And as we keep reading in the Old Testament, that's the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Our God is worthy of praise. 
Jerusalem is where our Messiah would come and do a lot of his ministry. In fact, out of the four Gospels, one of them highlights in particular the work of Jesus in Jerusalem. It's the Gospel of Luke. Out of the four Gospels, Luke is the evangelist that highlights Jerusalem. He loves to highlight Jerusalem. And that's where our Messiah was crucified. It's where he made an atonement for sin. It's it's where he was buried. It's where our Savior was raised from the dead. It's where he ascended into heaven. I mean, this is the place where our Savior did much of his ministry and where the atoning work was accomplished. We can celebrate the greatness of our God. But not only that, look in your outline. Number two, we can contemplate God's protection of Zion. Now you might think, oh, this sounds so lecturish, but hold on. There is great application and comfort that comes from this point particularly. Look at verse four. For lo, or behold, verse four, behold, it's almost like the hymn writer is grabbing us by the shirt collar saying, you've got to get this. Verse four, the kings assembled themselves. You know, the Hebrew language is far more than just a few kings that sort of launch some missiles, <laughs> launch some missiles at Jerusalem. No, 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 this isn't that. This is a, this is a formal confederation of worldwide kings and world leaders that are coming against her, verse four. Behold, you got to get this. All of the kings of the world are formerly, they are formally coming together against God. And they passed by together. They saw the city. They were amazed. Verse five, they were terrified and they fled in alarm. That, that seems to be a wider, bigger, vaster, more global struggle than an Old Testament battle that we read about. Something bigger. Notice how God is one who faithfully protects Zion. The kings come, they gather, they see the city, they're terrified, verse 5, they flee in alarm and panic seizes them there. I mean, when have the kings of the world assembled against Jerusalem and then they all fled in panic? That hasn't happened yet. What is that like? Well, it's like in verse 6, anguish of a woman in childbirth. That's a picture of the irresistible power of God, whereby a woman who is anguishing in childbirth is like these world kings who are anguishing in fear, and they're going to turn away from Jerusalem. And a second picture is there is a strong east wind that is so strong it can break the mightiest of ships in verse 7. That's what God does. He is so mighty with the confusion and the overthrow of all of these world leaders that will come against Jerusalem. So when you see Jerusalem at the center of political conflict, it's nothing new. But it's a picture and a foretaste of what's to come in the future. It's a picture of what's to come in the future. Look at verse 8. 
As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish her forever. It's like the hymn writers are saying, we've heard it. We've heard the testimonies, all the testimonies of, of father and mother and, and older saints who have, who have told us the power of God and the greatness of God and how God has protected his people. We need to pass on testimonies to our children and their children and to others as well. You think, so what? I mean, this is Jerusalem, protection of a city. What does that matter to me? Actually, it has a lot to do with you. Because, because the fact that God is faithful to protect his city, Jerusalem, gives me comfort that God will be faithful to the promises he makes with me. It's kind of like the argument of Romans 9 to 11. How do you know that God really is faithful to you? Here's the proof. He's faithful to Israel. So you can have comfort. You can have assurance in the love of God and in the faithfulness of God. Why? Because God has made a covenant that he will protect Jerusalem. And guess what? He's still faithful to that covenant. And you know that he's faithful to you as well. We can celebrate. We can contemplate. Third, look in your outline. We ought to communicate the covenant love of God and his dealings amidst Zion. We ought to communicate all of these things. Now, look at verses 9 and following. This is a very covenantal language. It's almost like God saying in the, in the Hebrew text of the hymn, let me tell you how covenantally faithful I am. Look at verse 9. We have thought on your covenant love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. We are to think, contemplate, consider, communicate, recount, all that God is doing. Verse 12 tells us to walk around Zion, count the towers. Verse 13, consider the ramparts. Why, verse 13? So that you may tell it to the next generation. What does God want? He wants us to tell and communicate how faithful our God is to our children and our children's children and to others that God brings across our path. We ought to think of the covenant love and the covenant faithfulness of God. I'm not sure if I or perhaps we dwell on God's covenant faithfulness enough. God, God has made a covenant. Before it's even with me and you, it's with himself. And he has sworn and he cannot lie. And part of his covenantal faithfulness includes his love for and choice of the city of Jerusalem. Walk around the city, the hymn writer says. Walk around, count the towers, look at all the ramparts, look at all that God has done in this city. Verse 13, so that you may tell it to the next generation. Why? Verse 14, because such is our God. 
This is our God forever and ever. He will guide us unto death. By the way, can I remind you? Zechariah chapter 1, verse 14. God is exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. Now, again, maybe you're here, maybe boys and girls, you're here thinking, oh, Jerusalem, why all this talk about Jerusalem? How's that going to change my life tonight when I leave from here? Well, God calls it my city. God said, I will put my name there forever. Deuteronomy 12, it is a place where God chooses to set his name. But listen to this very carefully. Satan has a particular hatred for Jerusalem. Satan has a particular hatred for the Jews. Satan has a particular hatred for the city of David. Have you ever wondered why in Revelation 19, Jesus comes on a white horse, right? Revelation 20, Satan is bound for a thousand years for the kingdom. Okay, then Revelation 20 tells us that after the thousand years, Satan is relieved, right? For like one final prideful rebellion. He thinks he's actually going to defeat the Lord. Well, he has one rebellion. Do you know where he goes? The beloved city of Jerusalem. He hates Jerusalem. He ha- Why? Because it's the covenant city that God chose to manifest his glory. And God chose it out of all the places in the earth whereby he would manifest his glory. What I want to do with you for the next five or ten minutes together, I want to ask you, and even you know, children, if you're able to follow along with us, I want you to do a journey with me through some of the Old Testament scriptures. And what I want to do is I want to do a mini biblical theology on Zion. And you see it there in your handout, and I give you a lot of verses, and we'll see if we can read through them. Because what I want you to do is I want you to see if we can do kind of, we call it in our family, a sword drill, where I give them a Bible verse, and the kids have to turn there real quick, and we see who gets there first, and then we go to another scripture, and we turn there. So... Let's do a sword drill together, okay? Let's go quickly to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Psalm 78, as you're turning there, is a historical psalm. It's all about how God guided his people in spite of their sin. Psalm 78, verse 68, God elected, or he chose the tribe of Judah And the parallel phrase to that is he chose Mount Zion, which he loved. That brings us to the doctrine of election and the doctrine of foreknowledge. God has a special love and a special choice of Jerusalem. Well, turn with me to the right quite a bit, actually, to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Now, as you're going there, we're going to kind of look in the prophets for a little bit. Daniel 9, at the end of the chapter, is dealing with what we call the 70-week prophecy. And it's all about a future plan of God for the Jewish people and for the city of Jerusalem. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. 70 weeks, meaning 70 series of seven years, have been decreed for your people, the Jews, 
and for your holy city. Meaning, there is a prophetic plan that God has with the Jews and with the city. So, okay, if if you're going on vacation, you're going to do a little research about where you're going. Well, shouldn't we do a little research about where we're going to be for a little while in the future? Well, you're in Daniel, turn to the right, and let's spend some time in what we call the minor prophets. Go to the book of Obadiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, and then Obadiah. Now, Obadiah is a small little book written by the prophet Obadiah, and he's actually talking about the judgment of Edom. That would be modern-day Jordan. But, But in Obadiah, verse 17, we have a pretty amazing promise. Obadiah verse 17, do you see it there? On Mount Zion, there will be those who escape and it will be holy. Did you see that? The city itself will be holy. There will be something about the city where it has God-like purity. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions and the house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau will be Stubble. Skip down to the last verse, verse 21, Obadiah 21. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. God has a plan for his people and for the city, Mount Zion. Just turn over a couple books after Jonah. Go to Micah, Micah chapter 4. Now, we all know Micah chapter 5 because it talks about you, Bethlehem, from you will go forth a ruler. It's a prophecy of the birthplace of Jesus. But go to Micah chapter 4, Micah chapter 4, verse 1. It will come about in the last days. Okay, that's kind of code language, future end times. It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains. Quick footnote. I think there will literally be topological, geological changes to the land so that Jerusalem will actually rise to be the highest mountain on the earth in the kingdom. Right now, it's not. There's a lot of mountain ranges and all that. But I think in the future, right here, it will be the chief. It will be the highest of the mountains, and it will be raised above all the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Verse two, many nations will come and they will say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Do you long for that day? What a great day that will be. Well, you're in Micah. After Nahum and Habakkuk, And then after Zephaniah and Haggai, turn to the longer book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 2. Now, if you're going to understand Zechariah, you're going to understand God's prophetic plans for Jerusalem. And not only his plans for Jerusalem, but his plans for the Jewish people. But not only the plans for the Jews, the plans for the nations as they come to worship the Messiah. Zechariah chapter 2 Look at Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 4. 
and said to him, Run, speak to the young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. Verse 5, For I, declares the Lord, I will be a wall of fire around her, that's Jerusalem, and I will be the glory in her midst. Verse 8, for thus says the Lord of hosts, after glory, that's a picture of Messiah, he has sent me against the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you, Jerusalem, touches the apple of God's eye. Verse 10, sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and they will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that I, uh, that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Then the Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and he will again choose Jerusalem. Do you see that? I mean, on and on we could go. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 1, tells us that God is exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem. At the end of Zechariah 8, beginning in verses 20 to 22, says that many nations, many nations will come to seek the Lord in Jerusalem. I mean, when are the nations coming to Jerusalem to seek the true and living God? We scratch our head and think, that ain't happening right now. And it hasn't happened. But one day, based upon the trustworthiness of God's word, God will manifest his glory among the nations through the Son of God, the Messiah, as all the nations come to worship him as he sits upon the throne of David in Zion. In Zechariah chapter 14, Jesus returns to the Mount of Olives. It parts in two from north to south. And the living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. He will be king, verse 9, over the whole earth. And then, I think this is interesting in verse 10, all the land, Zechariah 14, 10, all the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site. Verse 11, people will live in it. There will no longer be a curse for Jerusalem will dwell in security. Well, not right now. There are siren alarms going off in Jerusalem. It's not secure right now. So what we're reading hasn't happened. But God is faithful. And he's made promises that one day, all of the nations of the earth will come to this city and they will come to worship our God. And if we had the time, we would finish your outline there because Isaiah could rightly be called the Jerusalem prophet. He loved his city of Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 2 talks about the law of the Lord going forth from Jerusalem. Isaiah 11 says that there will be nothing that will destroy in all of my holy mountain. In Isaiah 18, all the peoples of the earth will come and bring gifts to the name of the Lord of hosts in Mount Zion. In Isaiah 65, God will rejoice in Jerusalem. I mean, God has a plan for the city. He has a plan for the city. Okay, now put a pause on all that. That's fascinating. So what? 
So what? We could talk about biblical prophecy and we could talk about God's love and election of Zion. So what does that mean and what does that teach? Let me give you some practical ways in which we ought to go from here. Number one, God has a plan. Never forget that. God has a plan. I mean, that's that's what a wife would want from her husband if he says, hey, I'm going to take you on a vacation. She's like, where are we going? I, I want a plan. Well, God has a plan for us. He has a plan. Number two, remember this, God is in control. He is totally in control. So whatever goes on in Israel, whatever's going on in Jerusalem, whatever's going on with all the nations and their threats, our God is in control. Number three, God will make his name great. He will. God is all about his glory. He's not all about me. He's all about his glory. He's not all about you. He's all about his own glory. And he will make his name great. Number four, let me give you this final application here. All the nations will acknowledge the glory of God, and the kingship of God from Zion. I mean, what could bring more glory to the Son? What could bring more glory to our great God when he says in Malachi, all the nations will come and see my glory. I long for that day. And yet that day will come when the kingship of God will be manifested from Zion. You know what we pray? Let your kingdom come. Let it come. So, is it a geographical study? Well, maybe. Is it a historical study? Maybe a little bit. Is it a prophetic study? Sure. But we ought to be comforted. Because our, our God has a plan. He has a plan for the future. And the plan is to magnify his name and to put the son of God, the king of heaven and earth on display so that all the nations will come and worship him in Jerusalem. And we've looked at that city tonight. Psalm 48, Jerusalem. So, hallelujah. What a savior. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can look into Psalm 48, now as we pray and reflect on, on the Lord's prayer, and we even pray, let your kingdom come, O Lord. Oh, we pray that you would teach us and direct us into your truth as we call upon your name together. In Jesus' name, amen.